Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Illustration Department Podcast. My name is Giuseppe Castellano. In this podcast, I talk to folks in illustration, graphic design, publishing, animation, and other creative fields about their beginnings, their successes, and the bumps and bruises they've experienced along the way. In this episode, my guest is VP Managing Agent at Bright Agency, James Burns. I've known James for years. I can safely say there are few other agents working today who are as kind or as passionate as he is. Among other topics, we talk about the good and bad news coming out of the publishing industry's battle with COVID-19. We discuss the myths and facts about agents, the permanence of the graphic novel boom, what illustrators should be doing to help their portfolios, and James answers questions from patrons of the podcast. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Mr. Burns. Hello, sir. It's good to hear your voice again. It's been way too long. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a hot minute. Um, uh, good to hear from you. I think the last time we saw each other was at the Four-Faced Liar. Do you know, I walked past that place on uh, Pride weekend and, uh, and thought, oh my God, the last time I was in there, I was having beers with, with Giuseppe. And well, I couldn't even really place when that was. Mid-2018. Yeah, amazing how time flies. Something like that. I was having a beer. You were having a club soda. Was I? No, mm-hmm. was I not having any beer at all? Or liquor? No. Nope. Wow. You weren't. Gosh, that's a shocker. Well, <laughs> I think you, if I recall correctly, there was something going on medically. Oh, uh, there was. Well, there still is. But my gosh, you know, that you, you've got a phenomenal memory. And uh, well done. There you go. So still going on then. Still going on, but great shape. And, and feel huge amount better than what I did back then. And um, yeah, you know, the wonders and, and perils of American healthcare. <laughs> oh, wow, you don't hear that very often. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole conversation, but literally, I could have an hour long conversation on American healthcare and insurance and, and the pros and cons compared to the NHS back home and all that good stuff. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I just realized there was a fan nearby and uh, realized it was running. And now I just turned it off. So now we're gorgeous. We don't hear that. Hmm. (laughs) So, you know, obviously you and I had known each other for quite some time. I don't know where you're from. I could be mistaken, but I believe you're British. Uh, Is that right? Okay. That's right. Yeah. English. British. Whereabouts? All over, really. Um, first part of, of life as a youth, I was in the Midlands in a town called Burton on Trent. Uh-huh. And then I went up to uh, high school, boarding school in North Yorkshire in a town called Giggleswick. Uh, I adore. It's very, very close to my heart, that place. Okay. And, uh, and then from there, I went to art college in London. And then I was okay. in London for five or six years before coming to America. Nice. I think American cities and towns need to rethink their naming because the names of towns in England are so fun and so creative. And we're just like Smithfield, we some good ones. you know, and yeah. over by you, it's like Giggleton or something, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's just great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, for sure. Yeah. Um, you studied art? 
Yeah. So from from school, I went to uh, an art college in London called Central St. Martins. And the UK way of doing it is that you, anyone that wants to go and study art at higher education has to go and complete an art foundation course. Okay. And uh, that's a year where you literally explore all mediums and all techniques across all disciplines. Wow. Um, and I was very privileged in the school that I went to was really well equipped with um, ceramics and textiles and fine arts and painting and photography. Mm-hmm. So when I got to Central Martins, I had already done a lot of that exploration, I guess. Right. Um, but had a passion for ceramics and pottery and knew that that's where I wanted to focus. So did a year playing around and, uh, and exploring lots of different things. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the year, I decided that actually whilst I would love to go and do ceramics at degree level, mm-hmm. um, I didn't want to be a, a, a struggling artist at the end of it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I definitely questioned my talent and whether or not I was good enough to make it professionally and to be able to earn a living on that mm-hmm. and came to the conclusion that it, it would have probably been a struggle. And I loved the time there. But mm-hmm. um, I figured that I needed to probably go and do something else. And uh, I transferred. There's a sister college, St. St. Martin's, called the London College of Communication. And I went there to study crisis management. I lasted about six weeks before I left. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm very dyslexic. And writing essays, it really isn't my strong suit. Okay. And... Um, and I just I came to the conclusion that I was like, yeah, this is this isn't going to work for the next three years. Yeah. So um, I left and did various you know jobs in London and bounced around before joining Bright. And that was in 2010. How did you connect with Bright? It goes back years to to high school, and um, my very good friend Phoebe uh, is Vicky Warden Lebrun, our founder, president, managing director. Mm-hmm. Um, their sisters. So I first met Vicky when I was about 15 and on a family holiday, and I was in awe of watching her work. She was working, you know, a few hours every day whilst on holiday and just looking at the artwork and hearing the conversations that she was having on the phone and both with publishing houses and with her clients at the time, Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, this is incredible. And coming from uh, a home that my family were all in construction and property development and building. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is just so different. So over the years, obviously I had seen Vicky at various family functions and events and all that sort of stuff. And um, I think it was probably when I was 16 or 17, I said, I will work for you one day. She was like, no, you won't. No way. And I said, I will. And um, when I was at St. Martins during that year, I went into the bright office for two or three weeks and did an internship. I was putting the portfolios together. I was sending mailings out. I was answering the phone. I was um, stuffing invoices into um, envelopes and posting them out. And, mm-hmm. you know, anything that I could do to, to be semi-helpful, even right. if I was making a cup of tea, that's what I was doing. Yep. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Loved the energy. Loved the pace. Mm-hmm. Um, loved the artists. And... Um, and so when I then left the London College of Communication and I was bouncing around London, I was working um, in, a, in a retail store at the time, I saw that Bright had a very junior position, um, but full-time. And I applied and went to see Vicky and the studio manager at the time. And um, a couple of weeks later, I started as 
uh, assistant to Vicky, yeah. um, even though I wasn't really qualified to do that. What was it like? What were those early days like? Uh, other than like, you know, organizing portfolios and making tea and whatnot. What was it your was first Kate... sale like? You know, what, how did you, what were your first steps as an agent? Well, I think, you know, when you're supporting the agents and everything that they're doing, um, I think Vicky would say now that I was very much a sponge in those early months and years and constantly had my ears open and my eyes open to what the agents were doing and how they were doing it. Right. Um, and in terms of what that process looked like mm. at every stage, whether that's um, trying to find some new talent or looking at the submissions inbox or um, onboarding an artist and mm. getting them set up and talking with clients, both wonderful, happy conversations that agents have in terms of pitching new people and, and sealing deals effectively mm -hmm. um but then also the not so nice side in terms of you know negotiating difficult points in a contract or um yep. sorting out an issue in you know which is going on between the illustrator and the client and at that time i think there was maybe three or four agents and they all did uh, different things they focused on different areas of the market within mm -hmm. children's publishing mm -hmm. so one was vicky was obviously still an agent and she had a, a roster of clients that were focused on pitch books Mm -hmm. And then we had a fiction agent that was doing slightly older leveled readers and black and white artwork and, and covers and that sort of stuff. Right. Uh, and there was a licensing agent that specialized in, you know, greeting cards and ceramics and textiles and that sort of side of things. Gotcha. And it was me bouncing around, helping them all. My first ever sale was, it was a Christmas tree, a very graphic Christmas tree vector image. Mm -hmm. um, and we sold it to a greeting card company in uh, Minneapolis okay. and it was $350 and I can vividly remember seeing the email come in saying James we would like to commission this piece of art and me getting so excited that I had to print the email off <laughs> go downstairs have a cigarette and read the email and thought oh my god this is my first ever sale Amazing. and then I, I then called the artist and, and shared the good news with them and, um, and I was away then I've been you know, that was probably a, probably a year after I joined Bright, so maybe okay. 2011. And yeah. I've been doing deals and representing people since. That was 10 years ago. You yeah. recently celebrated your 10-year anniversary with Bright. I did. I did. Uh, and 2011 is when I started at Penguin. And you and I have been working together. We've been seeing each other, you know, at events and whatnot for that duration. Yeah. When you and I were working together, again, if I remember here... Your title was agent or senior agent, but now you're vice president managing agent. I am. Pump, pump your brakes here, James. Jesus. <laughs> Stop getting so giddy. I am. <laughs> I, um, it's great. I mean, yeah. you're just doing so well. And then in 2014, you established Bright's U.S. office in New York City. I did. And again, if I remember, part of the reason was to sort of cut back on the back on the traveling back and forth. And sure. you moved to New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, in terms of job title, you know, um, I've always been an agent and I'm still very much an agent now. Yeah, I've been in America now, I think, since 2014, pretty much full time. Yeah, that couldn't have been and, easy. Um, no, you know, and I was listening to, you know, one of your podcasts. I've listened to a few this week and, uh, and I forget to know who it was. 
but they moved to, they did a reverse thing and they moved to London. Mm-hmm. And, and they said that it was probably much one of the hardest things that they've done uh, in their career. And, and when they were saying that, I would totally sympathize. Yeah. Um, that was on you know, by the way. It, it was on Yeah. Thank mm-hmm. you. It's, I don't think anything can prepare you for it. And no. I went into it, I think, incredibly naively. Um, and also, you know, I will say that, yes, I came over here to set up the agency, but for full disclosure, Bright had an agent in America before me. Right. It was Kirsten Hall. Kirsten does some fantastic work. She did fantastic work for Bright and now obviously continues to do so at the uh, Catbird agency. Mm-hmm. Um, but so... I flew over really thinking, oh, this is going to be relatively short term. I'm going to do, you know, maybe nine or 12 months and I'll fly backwards and forwards. And, mm-hmm. and you know, that's what will, that's what will happen. And then that then lead, leads to getting a visa and, uh, and me then finding a place to live. And all of a wow. sudden you stop flying back to the UK less and yeah. um, you make that transition. And yeah. before I knew it, I was a lot more invested in the American market um than i was in the british market um but i know the american market so much more because a lot of my uh publishing clients the ones that i the publishing houses and the editors and art directors that i work with are are here all right so you established this office in 2014 but here we are now yeah we're all working from home some of us who can and you're unable to walk over to the publisher's offices. Sure. How does that work now? Very different, I think. Um, first up, agents, by their very nature, I think are very well suited to working remotely. Mm-hmm. You know, there would be days in the week where I wouldn't come to the office because I'd be bouncing around doing those meetings with our directors and publishers and editors. Right. And you, 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 in between those meetings, you rock up a... a, a coffee shop or a, you know place which has got wi-fi and you crack the laptop open you do the follow-up and yeah. you know respond to the ongoing you know to-do list mm-hmm. um so making the transition from being in an office to being at home isn't necessarily um it wasn't typically it wasn't it wasn't very difficult the difficulty comes that all of a sudden publishers are having to make that transition um who i think are a lot less um prepared or, or suited for working from home on a mass scale that we saw. Oh yeah, you know, I know one publishing house that said, you know, we'll we'll break it down. We'll, half of our staff will work from home on the Friday, and half will work on Monday, and we'll stress test it. Well, on Friday evening, there was a huge amount of problems, and the governor then said, "Well, the city's closed." So they were halfway through their stress test, and they then were forced into working from home. Right. So initially, you know, that that last week or two of March and, and definitely the first couple of weeks in early April, everything quietened down. You know, mm-hmm. people were scrambling and trying to get onto systems and figure out how they were going to be doing their acquisitions meeting and their creative meetings and cover meetings. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, how, how do they forge forward? Yeah. Also, probably with a slight, you know, wish and a prayer that maybe it would be short-lived and maybe in two weeks we'll be back in the office and this will all be fine. Nope. Um, and obviously that didn't happen. Yeah. I mean, I have, um, a, I have a friend who, you know, an art director and he said, he's never been busier. He's doing what he 
usually does, but now at his dining room table while his one-year-old runs around and destroys everything. Definitely. And he's also said that his employer has all but said no one's coming back until next year. No, no. And I've, I've heard that from a few houses now. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was talking to um, Arabella, who's uh, uh, the uh, managing director, very senior agent in, in the UK, and Vicky, obviously. And, um, and we're trying to make a bet on when we would be back. And I said, it's just far too early to tell. You yeah. know, it, I want to say, you know, we'll start to look at it in September. But now that I know two or three houses have said it's going to be 2021. Um, it's just a matter of time. I mean, it's just I feel like any minute now you'll start seeing these uh, these announcements. Exactly. You know, and and that's fine. I think I, after I, that initial shock, agreed. Publishers, I think, w- did catch up really yeah. quite quickly, right. and obviously, we've seen various different things happen in terms of some companies are furloughing and some are now doing job shares, and some people are now on a roster of you work a week, you take a week off, and all that sort of stuff. Right. Um, and we've seen books move publication lists, mm-hmm. but generally speaking, it's it's very much business as usual, especially within the big five. Yeah. You know, I'm as busy as what I was before, if not busier. Yeah. I've heard that from several other agents. Yeah. It's amazing. As busy, yeah. if not busier. Definitely. Years ago, I wrote a blog post called, do I need an agent? Uh, I asked a few agents, a few questions, including you in one yes. response of yours. You said, and I quote, an agent worth their weight is in a position of privilege given that they see a bird's eye view of the industry and have a fantastic understanding of the publishing houses. In particular, what the editors and art directors are looking for. It's still true today, but from a slightly different perspective, given that we are all experiencing the pandemic together. So from your position of privilege, Mr. Burns, what are you seeing in the children's book industry? What will this look like a year from now? Oh, I think um, I think it's an incredible time to be in children's publishing. And I see publishers wanting to engage mm-hmm. children in a huge variety of different subject matters. Um, and interests and I think you know picture books a couple of years ago there was that big panic that all of a sudden publishing was dying and everyone was going to go digital and all of a sudden being in Bologna and the first digital hall had been established and all the activity was there and everyone was doing it and yes of course things have happened in the digital space within children's content and and all that good stuff but Mm -hmm. publishing isn't going anywhere and it surprises me time and time again about how resilient it is I think we will continue to see investment in own voices, regardless of where those own voices are, whether it be within the black and African-American community or the LGBT community. There is now more than ever uh, a need for that genuine, authentic diversity and the people to be able to tell those stories. Mm-hmm. And also just on that, for them not to be pigeonholed into then only telling those stories right. that we actually take their skill and style into account to tell all the other great stories you know 
it's no surprises, I think, that people invest in books and has already been on trend for probably a year or two, but definitely that quality nonfiction mm-hmm. um, is oh, yeah. booming. Oh, for, it was, it's been booming for years now. Totally. And then the, the, the one which is still, people have been talking about for years, but they're only just starting to put their money where their mouth is, is within the graphic novel space. 100%. Um, and I have my reservations about the graphic novel space, um, but we will see what happens in that area of the market. Yeah. I actually have a question about graphic novels that I want to save until later. Sure. I have a little fun game for us. <laughs> uh, but before we move on, I I have to say, sometime in sometime around the same time, 2011, 2012, I met with Vicky and Kirsten uh, yeah. in New York. Yeah. I was invited to share my thoughts with Vicky on Bright's website mm-hmm. at the time, the site mm-hmm. at the time. She was planning a redesign and she wanted some opinion. So, you know, in short, I told her it stunk. Yeah. Uh, the images were too small. The navigation was clunky. Some other things, but essentially, you know, it just wasn't a great website. It's a little better now. As an art director in my former life, the appeal of Bright was obvious. With the number of illustrators that you represent, you increase your chances of finding someone who will fit the project. From my point of view at the time, and still, Bright's agents tend to have good taste. Uh, Thank you. Well, present company excluded. So the illustrators are by and large ones you want to work with. All of that is clear. Pretty objective observation on Bright. But if I may relay to you one of the most common issues that I hear from illustrators through the illustration department you're not going to get the same level of attention from a large agency like bright and some others as you would from a smaller one. In other words, if you're not a big fish at a big agency, you get lost. Is that fair or off base? No, I don't think it is fair. Um, I couldn't understand why, someone would come to that conclusion from the outside. Mm-hmm. And I think Bright has evolved how I was talking earlier about those early days with Bright agents having their areas within the market. And generally, those agents all shared pretty much a, a pool of, of illustrators. Mm-hmm. Um, that's still true. But I think the agency has moved, especially in probably the last two years, to more of a agent, here is my roster of illustrators. Mm-hmm. So, yes, we do carry a lot of illustrators. We carry them because we carry a huge amount of agents. You know, there are 15 agents at Bright, and when an artist is brought on board generally there is an agent there that is spearheading them personally and professionally. Now, that's not to say that there isn't some crossover. Mm -hmm. To give you an example, I represent uh, an illustrator called Hatem Ali. I worked with him. And he is one of my artists. Mm -hmm. I probably secure him with 90% of the projects that he does through the agency. 
But one of the advantages there is that there are 14 other agents at Bright who are talking to clients that I'm not talking to. So all of a sudden, Arabella could give me a call and say, I have a publisher in the UK that would like to work with Hassan. Mm-hmm. This is the sort of details. Do we think this is going to go? And I'd say, no, it's going to be a conflict on publication dates or the fee isn't good enough or right. uh, the subject matter isn't going to relate with him. Or, mm-hmm. um, so, you know, in which Bright works, you have that point person as an agent or as an artist, you have that point person within an agent, mm-hmm. but you get the added benefit of having this huge exposure of what the agency brings um, and the exposure that those other agents are going to give to you. Okay. Um, yeah, it's how I see it. Fair enough. Side note, I selected Hatem for the Unicorn Rescue Society series. Yes. It was one of my better ideas. <laughs> as an art director he's just fantastic he is incredible you know in terms of the way in which he works across formats yeah you know that is is something which we could have an entire separate conversation about 100%. yeah illustrators maximize and it was styles. funny at the time uh the authors who were sort of putting together this whole thing i was i was tasked to find the illustrator for this huge project from from uh Adam and those guys. And um, it was a little stressful because it was, it was, it was, it was billed as this like big thing that Penguin was going to do. And they were going to, it was going to be cross imprint and cross authors and inviting guest authors. It was this huge thing at the time. And um, I had a few illustrators in mind and Hatem was just by far my pick. Like I, I like he, everything you you're describing to me, to look for in an illustrator he's got plus a thousand other things that i think he has um and it was a little it wasn't like i had to make a case but anytime they were looking at his work and going like oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah and then he started i could see them sort of drift over to like to a to a thought of like what if we i was like whoa whoa, whoa, whoa. just let's just come back to hatem he's the right guy (laughs) he's the right guy okay and then eventually it didn't take long, but you know, I was just worried that they would uh, go another way. As, <laughs> well, is, I appreciate as that. is the case in some yeah. instances, as you know. Uh, you mentioned fees. I did. You mentioned graphic novels. Yes, I did. This this conversation actually has been going on uh, of late on the illustration department forum with illustrators that I've talked to recently, but it's a, it's one of those common, you know topics of conversation what should i be expecting as an Mm. illustrator in terms of fees for Mm. books it's a very simple question and the answer is elusive uh it varies it's hard to pin down yeah i'm not going to say okay james tell me exactly how much money you get for a picture book in the united states for a picture book in the uk let's just talk in sort of general terms true or false you get paid more money by U.S. publisher on a 32-page picture book than you would from a U.K. publisher, same format, same print run. Generally true. Because the U.S. publishing market is bigger. So much bigger. You, you, you can't even, you know, I think there's more total population in the United Kingdom of 70 million. I think in the United States, there's 65 million people under the age of 18. 
So mm-hmm. just on that basis alone, yes, so much more. Right. So um, as an illustrator, you shouldn't be ex- – no one publisher, no one country is the same. You can't just no. say all picture books, you should expect X dollars. Exactly. Okay. Because then there's so much more that comes into than the deal. You know, the American market don't really co-edition to the extent, same extent that those European countries would because right. those Europe, the, yeah, exactly those those European countries need those co-edition deals to be able to make the finances on the book work. Mm-hmm. So there's other things that you can then be doing on that contract with those European clients in terms of those rights and sub-rights mm-hmm. that um, play a massive part of the deal um, rather than just looking at actually what is the fee that I'm getting paid or what is the advance that I'm getting paid for right. Um, don't ask me why I'm on Twitter as much as I am, but uh, you're not on Twitter very, very much. I think the last you tweeted maybe four or five times since December. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so, you know, just on that, I always say to you. my illustrators, if you are going to have a social media platform, please make sure you utilize it. If you're not going to post or have it, then don't yeah. even bother having it. Exactly. It's better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm, I should take my own advice there. So no, I don't tweet this is tying into the fee conversation. This is not a, this sure. is not a non sequitur sure. here. Uh, of late, there have been chats, let's call them, about how much graphic novels, mm. how much money you should expect if you get a graphic novel gig. Yeah. I've literally seen fees from major publishers sure. that have been as low as ten, twelve thousand dollars US. Mm-hmm. There are folks who say they've received as much as fifty, sixty thousand dollars US. Mm-hmm. Again, you can't. It's apples and elephants here, depending on the <laughs> illustrator, depending on the publisher, depending on all these things. The conversation essentially is, has settled on for a graphic novel job, two hundred mm-hmm. and whatever the standard is, two hundred eight or whatever it is. Illustrator should expect forty thousand dollars. It is a year's wage, essentially. As I was saying earlier, graphic novels are um, having their moment, I guess, in the industry. Mm -hmm. And the traditional publishing houses, in my opinion, are struggling to uh, make the finances work on graphic novels. So if I look at what DC and Marvel pay, and how they break that payment down into the various stages of creating the artwork. And then I relate that to one of the big five. Mm-hmm. They are blown away by those stages and that, that money and the actual amount of effort and time and collaboration that it takes to actually create a graphic novel. Right. Because they come from it from a, well, we publish middle grade and we publish um, chapter books and we publish picture books where we know publishing and we know how to create a book. Mm-hmm. My opinion, graphic novels are an entirely different beast. So I think if you were getting 40,000 from one of the big five, I would be like, well done. Mm-hmm. Um, I like what we're saying. I see it at every level. Um and you have to be really realistic of a the style that you're using to create it, mm-hmm. and if you're not being paid that forty thousand, can you take on other work which will then be able to supplement your income throughout? Right. Because I do think that by doing a 
good graphic novel with a good house um, probably brings something a little bit different to your portfolio than what is there. I think it's not. It's a moment, but I think it's a moment that will last for sure. Without a doubt, uh, and, it's and such a it's such a fluid format. You can do so many different kinds of things with it, and and have so many uh, kinds of readers. Without a doubt, you know, and, and in terms of those, um, you know, the reluctant reader, the one oh, yeah. who doesn't really want to, mm-hmm. you know, pick up the book and and start consuming it. I myself would have been mm-hmm. in that category massively. Um, mm-hmm. you, you, masses of children around, you know, not just the country but the world. Um, yeah. It is definitely a really great gateway into literature for them. But just in terms of that process of you start with the blank page you then need uh you know the layout artist who's going to identify well where are the boxes and the panels on that page going to be oh, sure. then you're going to then you're going to need that storyboarding artist that's going to come in and give an idea of where they you know where everything's going to fit on it mm-hmm. then we go to sketches then we go to inks then we go to uh the typography layout and mm-hmm. that works within the existing artwork and then we go to finals you know and when we look at dc or marvel there's you know the way in which they work and the way in which they've built the company supports that creative process. Mm-hmm. And um, the big five haven't got that yet. Right. And um, I know a couple of the houses that have now hired designers and our directors from, um, you know, a more traditional graphic novel background. Mm-hmm. So they're definitely trying to invest and, and trying to make the price point work and, and the fees for creative work. So yeah. Which is great. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it does pain me personally uh, because maybe about five years ago, me and an editor at Penguin were making the case that graphic novels uh, need to be folded into the publishing plan. I can and, remember you having that conversation with me. Yeah. I want graphic. You, I remember vividly you saying I would like to be sent graphic novel ideas and artists in a variety of styles, subject matters, and age group. Mm-hmm. And that for me blew my mind. I'm like, oh my God, you could have a picture book aged readership engaging with graphic novels. Yeah. Um, and I think about it regularly, not just our conversation that we had, but you know, it was definitely the first time as an illustration agent working with the Pig Five that I had heard someone talk about graphic novels in that sense. We were unable to convince the decider. Shocker. Yeah, really. The The amount of follow-ups to all the stuff we're talking about right now uh, that I'm leaving out just in, for sake of time is I know. killing me. I but know. I, I know. do want to kind of keep <laughs> yeah. keep this brisk. Um, sure. Quick question. This is a quick one. It could be an entire episode, but for our conversation, our purposes, it's going to be quick. Why is it 30% for an art rep, an artist representative, and why is it 15% for a literary agent? I I have an idea as to the answer, but I figure I'd ask the uh, VP managing agent at Bright that question. It's a good good question, isn't it, really? I just don't get it. If I'm honest, I I don't really know. (laughs) If if I'm being like, well, why why is there such a difference? you know, I go on. What's your what's your feeling on it? Well, I don't want to cut you off, but I'm just going to. Uh, <laughs> I can because you're you. I usually don't. Sure, want to guess. Sure. <laughs> um, but because you're an agent, and I just you know, um, 
I mean, you you had me wait for 30 minutes. Typical agent uh, behavior <laughs> yeah. for this episode. I think that art reps possibly, I'm not saying they don't do less work, but comparatively speaking, I would, it, my, my guess is not fully formed or calcified, obviously, but it's essentially you're going to be getting less, fewer projects from the literary agent, but with a higher payout. One would hope, you know. And I, more projects with the art rep with less payout. And it's there's more there's more to do as an art rep than there is as a literary agent. So there's more. So you're paying them to do that work. There's more work to do. I think there's the. Uh, I think my I think my explanation actually changed in mid sentence. I, <laughs> I, I think I started off with it. Art rep does less work, but that's not true. They do more work. I think, yeah. as an illustration agent, there's a huge amount of work that goes on behind the scenes. Um, directly either with a publishing house or with a artist themselves and i have never been a literary agent and i've never worked at any other agency apart from blight um but for me we don't sit on those laurels we understand that we are illustrator's main source of income if mm-hmm. not the only source of income mm-hmm. um and we take that responsibility very, very seriously mm-hmm. so if all of a sudden i can see that one of my artists is wrapping up a project in six eight weeks time then i need to be jumping too to be able to figure out um what they're going to be doing next right and putting work into place to be able to make sure that we get that yep. um i'll give you uh, a, a memory as an example yeah. of what you've just said yeah uh, one of the things I recalled very clearly as art director were the packages that I would receive from you yes. of a number of postcards, number of mailers from your illustrators that you represented, laser curated, like you just through conversations that you would have, you and I would have, and experiences and decisions that I would make or I'd, you know my team would make or things that I would say or whatever, you just kept learning and learning and learning and learning and realizing like, hey, this art director likes X, Y, and Z. So I'm gonna put my, when I send out mailers, it's not blanketed, it's very curated. And it was like one of your signature things. It was like the thing you always expected from James Burns. Well, I think for me, I come at it that says being an agent is um, so multifaceted. But one of those things is um, there's a big hospitality element to it in terms of uh relationships and Mm -hmm. building them and nurturing them and Mm -hmm. um a key component of that is remembering people's likes and and dislikes Mm -hmm. um i love the postcards uh they're one of my favorite things and one of the things that i'm that most disappointed about during covid is that it would be inappropriate to reach out to everyone in um, our directors and publishers and say please can we have your home address because we would love to send you some things (laughs) um so obviously they've been paused um but you know postcards i think are invaluable because they cut through so much of the digital noise that people go through every day Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and um and all the agents at Bright are, you know, it's a big, it's an agency-wide thing. You know, every mm-hmm. generally every quarter we have 20 to 25 postcards printed, mm-hmm. um, different designs. And some of them are a little bit of a mix and match in terms of, okay, if I'm sending this to Giuseppe, what's he going to like? Here we go, boom, 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 boom. And I'm glad you like them. That means a lot. Yeah, I appreciated the work you put into them for sure. Thank you. I mentioned a game earlier. Let's have some fun. 
I'm going to play myth or fact. Nice. I give you a scenario and you say it's a myth or a fact. Okay. Just a few. Sure. I have an agent. I can now focus on my illustrations as they get me work. True. Having an agent guarantees that you will get more money from publishers. True. I, as the illustrator, dictate the amount of money and the amount of time I get for a project. I'm really sorry. I was thinking about the previous question and what I would actually say if we weren't just playing the game. Um, so, how about truth? How about myth, fact, and uh, requires further discussion? So, question before requires further discussion. Yeah. Okay. And I'm surprised repeat? to hear you say that was fact. <laughs> can you? Well, it, there's so many different variants that go into that. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I was looking at a um illustrator early on in their career um you know first couple of years out of uh, grad school or, or, or school and first couple of years of um you know having been self-taught and really put their portfolios together mm-hmm. um would i think that i would be able to get them more money than if they were working directly at the publishing house absolutely mm-hmm. um if we were looking at you know new york times bestseller um whether or not i was representing them or they were representing themselves then there might be an argument they could do it themselves um what was the latest question i as the illustrator dictate the amount of money and the amount of time i get for a project myth yep having an agent will solve all of my career problems myth anyone wanting to get into children's book illustration must have an agent requires further discussion okay Let's continue our gameplay. Mm-hmm. The Illustration Department podcast has patrons. I like to think of our patrons as the Medici family, and the podcast is their Uffizi, essentially. Uh, so I reached out to just the patrons, and I said to them that I was going to interview some kind of hotshot agent from a big-time <laughs> big time agency. I'm also going to be interviewing James Burns. <laughs> yeah. And they're doozies. So I'm only gonna I'm only gonna give you one, two, I'm only gonna give you three, maybe four. This one's from Jimmy. Actually not spelled the way you would think. Sure. Uh, Jimmy is a woman. In today's global marketplace, already, I mean come on. In today's global marketplace, what contrasts and similarities exist between US illustrators and foreign illustrators? Financially, artistically, et cetera. <clears throat> So many things. So many things. Um, what, let, know, let's just say one thing. One contrast. Sense, sense, sensibility of the artwork that they are producing. Right. And that's, know, a, that's into, a general, most people would say that. And it's a cultural it, thing, perhaps. Yes. And, and it's those cultural things. Um, without disclosing too many details, um, I was the agent on a deal between uh, European, mainland Europe, um illustrator and an american publishing house and uh i think it was probably the second project that i've worked on in my tenure as an agent that Mm. has been terminated part way through it fundamentally terminated because of those cultural differences and understanding of a creative brief Mm -hmm. 
And as an agent, sometimes uh, one of those facets that we do is bring people together to work through problems and issues to create a path forward. And I was unable to do it in that instance. You know, and there's a sensibility, which I think is more common in countries that translates really well to their, you know, mm-hmm. readership and market and the sales and marketing team. Yeah. And I think also very evident between the British and the American marketplace that um, people think, oh, they speak the same language, which means they must be the same. Whilst yeah. in actual fact, they couldn't be further from from correct you know each other yeah um i interviewed mark mills uh who heads up plum pudding in the uk and he said almost word for word the same thing definitely yeah so to answer jimmy's question there is a lot there's a lot of things oh yeah um in terms of culture in terms of style in terms of expectations of the project in terms of expectations of the financial details on the project Mm -hmm. um in terms of the contractual language that those illustrators would expect Mm -hmm. um you know, generally speaking, American contracts are fairly tough when you compare them to um, France, Germany, Italy, Belgium. Um, but expectations is probably um, the biggest one. Okay. Next up is from Tyler. In what ways is the current environment affecting acquisitions? We touched on this a little bit. We did. As we are now at the end of July... Um, I think acquisitions is almost back to where it was. Wow. Good to hear. It might be that the requirement for a project to go to an acquisitions meeting is slightly more intense than what it was before. Mm-hmm. So if I was pitching an author illustrated book, for example, and maybe I did that pre COVID with full manuscript, mm-hmm. uh, worked up character development and maybe a spread in final artwork. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I need more artwork and a more complete package for people to be able to take it through to acquisition. Got it. And that I think is down to sales and marketing team play a crucial part in the acquisitions process mm-hmm. at many of the houses. You know, I, um, I heard your podcast with Claudia uh, Enchanted Line mm-hmm. and how that's a little bit different mm-hmm. um, but at the big five let's say and those sales and marketing team need all the ammunition that they can get in order to be confident that they are going to put their neck on the line and say yes this will sell Okay. last one this one's from Kara I love the Bright Agency says Kara is there a specific aesthetic that you're looking for there's a bunch of like sort of overlaps here. Do you, do you represent author illustrators and what do you look for in a query letter? So those are three questions. So I'm just going to go ahead and say, let's, let's limit that to, is there a specific, no, let's rephrase that a little bit. Sorry, Kara. What do you look for in illustrators? Okay. First, thank you, Kara, for uh, loving us because that's always appreciated. <laughs> um, no, one of the advantages of being bright and us as an agency is mm-hmm. those uh, agents that all have different uh, viewpoints, perspectives, interests, and, and what they're drawn to in terms of illustrators' artwork and their styles. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we drill down to it, it's actually 
we are listening and looking and hearing from publishers what they want and what they need and where the trends are and we have our fingers on the pulse there so we're able to translate that into what styles are going to work and what aren't and that is crucial when i personally look at an illustrator's portfolio yes i'm looking to see whether or not i like it what i'm really looking for is am i going to have editors and art directors that are going to like it and going to be able to commission it um and sometimes that is almost a yes so i've just taken on an artist that went live on the website this week Mm -hmm. um he's incredibly talented i love his sense of palette i love his textures i love his um sensibility and being able to his ability to uh put really interesting compositions in place um is he ready to be a picture book artist? No, not at the moment. But I love his style enough. I was able to send him out before he went onto the website and the response was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, I, as agent and his agent, now need to spend time developing portfolio pieces which are in line with the parts of the market that he wants to engage with. Okay. So we need to work on some picture books. We need to work on some covers. Um, and it's a process and... We'll get that. And I hope I didn't go too far off topic for Kara. No, that's good. There are so many follow-ups. I can literally hear the illustrator listeners right now going like, ask him what he's look, what is he talking about? Why isn't he ready for a picture book? What palette? What about the palette? What color should I choose? I'm sorry, guys. Like I let's I would as much as I would love to get into all of that, um, Let's just, how about this? Let's just ref, let's, I'm going to reframe. I'm going to try to squeeze 10 questions into one. Sure. And then we have one more question and that's it. Mm-hmm. What should illustrators be doing right now for their portfolios? That is 10 questions. I know, I know. You're getting your money's worth. Um, effectively, Oh, did Karen not have a question about query letters? Or was that you? Or do we not know? She did, but, uh, you know, again, it's... Just literally a sentence on that is it really... If you submit to the agency through the submissions channel, Uh there is a process and there is a requirement and those details are on the website. If you're submitting to me personally, I don't care. So I need an Instagram link or website link and... A little bit about who you are and what you want to do and, and what you've been doing. That is it. I don't care about formalities or dear James or, you know, literally just show me the work. Um, and if I like it, generally, I will pick up the phone to you within 24 hours. Uh, why, can't, um, why can't all agents be like you, James? And sometimes I will pick up the phone and say, I love X, Y, and Z, but I can't take you on because of bandwidth or something. Yeah. Generally, it's not bandwidth um, because I think it's uh, there's always more time that you can give. Um, But generally, it's about them not being ready and we can give some feedback. And I know that a lot of agents advise it like that, maybe not with the phone. um, But I just think phone is so easy and so convenient. Anyway, so going back on to what illustrators can be doing right now, um, make sure that your portfolio is as robust as it can be. And what I mean by that is identify where in the market you want to be working and identify what pieces of work demonstrate that you can do that. 
a few things that I look for in an artist's portfolio is consistency and ownership of style. Do you have a style that you can then work in really comfortably to be able to demonstrate storytelling ability and facial expressions mm. and uh, movement? Um, you know, as publishing artists, we have to tell a story over 16 to 22 spreads. Mm. And being able to replicate a style is... I've had projects fallen through in the past where um, they've done... They've done a sample for a project, and that's been wonderful, and they've created this wonderful benchmark, and they've not been able to then achieve that benchmark. Um, And, you know, I think facial expressions is really key, and I don't think many illustrators show that in their portfolio. Someone else in one of your podcasts had spoken about, um, maybe it was even you, drawing things that you find difficult. And I think people shy away from doing that. And um, thank you Noah because I totally agree and um, we've got to you've got to embrace it and the only way you're going to get better is by doing it and doing it and doing it Um, I worked with an artist once and I took them on and I adored their animals uh, fantastic and a lot of them were anthropomorphic Mm -hmm. Um, but the human characters were were a lot weaker to the Mm -hmm. point where I had the conversation with them and said you know, I can get you books on on animals pretty much off the bat. I'm pretty confident in that, but the people are going to be a struggle. And he said, I, I understand that and uh, my weakness. Yeah. I still represent him. Mm-hmm. After about two years, maybe even three years of representing him, uh, he sent me some new portfolio pieces and I was blown away by the quality and expression and movement of mm-hmm. his human characters. And I said, how did you pull this out of the bag? And he said, I have been to a life drawing class once a month for the last three years. Yep. And through that classical, literally making yourself draw and draw and draw and draw, he was able to take those lessons and literally transfer, transfer them into his fairly stylized um, pieces. And yeah. it just opened my eyes to say, we've got to embrace the pain. Mm-hmm. Do it. Um, if it helps you with future illustrators or with illustrators that you represent, or if it helps anyone listening, uh, what I like to tell illustrators when I'm talking to them through mentorships or workshops or whatever is, because that's a, that's, a, that's a commonality. You know, Animals are easier to mess with and abstract and have fun with than humans, because you're, mm-hmm. you're worried that, it, well, does it look human? Is it cute? Is it whatever? Definitely. So just, a, just think of humans differently, approach them differently by saying to yourself, they're just another animal. Exactly. It's just, a combination of shapes, just like this elephant was. Think of it that way and have more fun with it. And that should break the dam. Great advice. Yeah. Thank you, James. Really good. Yeah, well done. Yeah. <laughs> Man, again, there are so, I, I, I have questions here about like, give me some horror stories, give me, you know, but, sure. you know, but, but <laughs> we're, we're, I'm just going to save all of that for another episode. Definitely. Oh, I don't want to end, James, but we should end. Damn it! I, I lost, I lost track of time, and um, it's it's Who been wonderful. It? I, thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, and um, there's something special about Friday afternoons, though, in the summer oh. in publishing. It gets a little bit quieter, and you can catch up. Oh my god! I used to love, I used to love Fridays in publishing. There's no it's meetings, it. and you just exactly cranked your, you played your music, you designed books, you're. Yeah, it was great. It was great. 
It's the best. It's yep. the best. I'm going to go and, and, you know, design brief portfolio sheets and put collections. Of course you are. Uh, of course you are. Um, the entire conversation, it sounded to me like you were uh, sort of whispering a little bit. And I'd like to believe oh. whispering because you're hiding from the many dozens or hundreds of illustrators who are trying to get your attention no, to, to get you to no. represent them. But you're just, you're no. just a chill guy. That's just the way you talk. I'm just chill. Yeah, I'm just, you know, sometimes I think, oh, my God, I can come on like a bit too hard and enthusiastic and, and giddy and boisterous. And when you're a person of my size, that can be slightly intimidating sometimes. So um, so yeah. maybe I, I try to. No, I miss quiet. those days, man. I miss those days. We're hanging, <laughs> we're hanging out at the Society of Illustrators and you and I are against the wall just talking and then getting Definitely. yelled at by people telling, telling yeah. us to whisper it because yeah, there's somebody exactly. talking on the podium. And we're just like, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, as I was saying, James, let's definitely remember all the folks who are listening in on this. And what would be one last bit of advice that you would want to share with illustrators looking to figure this all out? Know who you are talking to and know who you are trying to engage with your work. And secondly, do not stop playing and developing and pushing those creative boundaries because it's through that process that you land on something which is unique and fantastic and someone somewhere will commission it. To learn more about James, visit thebrightagency.com. If you enjoyed our conversation, please share it with your friends, subscribe to the podcast, and provide a positive rating and review. Become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash illustration D-E-P-T. In return, you'll receive our soft enamel pin, a reusable discount code for 10% off, and access to patron-only episodes we're calling Extra Credit. This podcast is produced by the Illustration Department, a global leader in online education for illustrators. Visit us at illustrationdept.com for class offerings, testimonials, the alumni showcase, the podcast show notes, our new forum, the bookshop, and more. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.